Thank you so much for blessing us with that, Mina. I think uh, Jonathan uh, and the praise and then uh, Brim uh, in the prayer uh, framed uh, the scripture passage very well. Uh, thank you, uh, guys, for doing that. I believe that people uh, really want to help others, right? I think uh, that's how we're wired and that's how we are. Helping others, uh, when we do it, connects us with others. It gives us uh, purpose, meaning, and even joy. Helping others is a beautiful part of being human. And we can see this in children too. Children are always very eager to help out. You know, just this week, my, my son was uh, one of the guys running around like crazy. He was telling me this week how he and a few other students volunteered to skip recess just so they can help the teacher set up things for their classroom. I said, I was very proud of you for that. You know, uh, uh, people are very eager sometimes. When crisis hits, our instincts come together and uh, we want to help each other out. But somehow, on a day-to-day -day basis, this desire to help others that we naturally have sort of gets snuffed out or dulled. It's not that we don't want to help, but we feel like we don't have anything to give. We don't have time. We don't have energy. We don't have the resources. As we all know, the demands in our life today on our time and our energy they leave us feeling numb and exhausted and we're tapped out that was the case with the widow in today's story you know widows were extremely vulnerable back then in a very male dominated world where the husband was the source of all security and protection and income not only that she had a son to take care of and to make matters even worse they were in the middle of a great drought. So there's nothing even growing. In this uh, passage today, I see a widow who has been scratching and clawing to survive and do anything she can to provide for her son. I see a tenacious mother doing all that she can and will to keep her and her son alive. She reminds me of many of our immigrant mothers who work day and night, scratching out the living to support their children. They give everything they have for the sake of their children. That's the kind of woman I see here. This drought was devastating, and the widow was at the end of her rope with almost nothing left. But in this dire situation, God has his own plan. This is what God says to Elijah. Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there. For I have commanded a widow there to feed you. You know, Elijah, he would go on to become the greatest prophet that Israel ever knew. When, when Jesus was on the mountain and uh, the transfiguration experience, he was talking to two figures. They were Moses and Elijah. That's the kind of towering person he became. But here today, he's at the very beginning of anything. He's a nobody. He's an unknown. He's on the run from the king of Israel whom he, he challenged. He has no allies and he's extremely vulnerable. He's so desperate that the only one who can actually keep him alive is 
a vulnerable widow who herself has nothing to offer. And so that's why when Elijah asks for just a morsel of bread, you know, she talks about her plight. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. I mean, isn't it amazing that in Elijah's desperate, vulnerable situation, God calls another very vulnerable, desperate person to help him. It's not like God provides like this rich, abundant person to provide for Elijah. It's almost like the fate of Elijah and his future ministry depend on this extremely vulnerable woman responding to his need. And the widow at this time probably had no idea who this guy was and who he would become in the future, right? It shows us that uh, we don't know what God's plan is. That's not for us to know question is simply whether we respond to the need in front of us that God places before us. I think the widow really wanted to help. We see she was going to go fetch him some water. But what she had when he asked for bread, she had was so scarce, so little, so small. It was not even enough for herself and her son. She had nothing to give. And so in this situation, if we read carefully, what Elijah said seems kind of crazy. Do not be afraid. First of all, do not be afraid when I have nothing. And do, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. I mean, who among us here would actually do that, Right? But somehow here, while all of us and the widow see scarcity, God sees abundance. This is what God said through Elijah. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. That is what God says. I mean, but for us, our jar of meal and jug of oil it always seems to be on the verge of running empty right and that's what jonathan was trying to say that our finances our time we always seem to be on the cusp we feel inadequate incapable or depleted and not having enough to make a difference for others let alone for myself we're always saying i think that once i have enough then okay i can give when I have enough time, when I have enough money, when I have enough energy, then I will give. And so that's what we're really trying to do, right? That's, we have a lot of students back from reading week. And uh, the reason we're studying is so we can get into the position of having enough so that then I can contribute and give to others, right? That's our logic. Our circumstances and our fear tell us that until then, we don't really have anything to give. But is this really the case? If you take the time to look more closely, I think you'll see that that is not the case. There's actually much more in us than we realize. 
You know, while I was uh, the high C pastor, uh, one message I continually said that said to them was that each of you have something unique to offer to this world that only you have. Do you guys remember that kind of message? I mean, high C retreat, these guys were able to summarize like three years of messages into one little skit when uh, whoever was playing me. I was like, this is amazing. These guys like retained all this in a nutshell. But each of you have something unique to offer. It might seem small. It might seem insignificant. But to God, it is precious. Inside each of us is a source of deep richness, beauty, and abundance. Our sin is that we have allowed ourselves to diminish it, or to be blind to it, or to bury it. The amazing thing in this story is that somehow the widow believed what God said. She responded with faith. That little jar of meal and jug of oil she had became a lifeline for Elijah. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she, as well as he and her household, ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. We have so much to give, more than we realize. What we have to offer at the moment might seem so small, but even with that little we have, we don't know what kind of blessing that will result in. Know that? Now, Martin Luther King Jr., he was uh, the greatest civil rights leader of our modern times, and he responded with great faith to his calling. But just like Elijah was only able to become that mighty prophet because of this poor widow at this time of need, same with Martin Luther King Jr. He was able to go on to become a national leader because of the faithful response of thousands of people in a small city called Montgomery. He was a 26-year-old pastor at that time, serving at a small little church. When in, the, in that town, a woman named Rosa Parks was on the bus. And that day, she decided to not get up and give up her seat. And that began. So she got arrested. And that began a boycott of this bus line. And Martin Luther King Jr., uh, he was kind of new in town, so he didn't have enemies. So they said, you can be our spokesperson. You're a neutral guy. And that's how it began. So he, he was the spokesperson. But the thing is, it took all these people. I mean, for a boycott to be successful, people have to not ride the bus. But for so many African Americans in that town, they relied on the bus to get to work, to places. The amazing thing is they all chose not to get on the bus. So they arranged carpools to get people to work and whatnot. The city cracked down on that too. So you know what they did? They walked. For over a year, they walked. They, some of them for miles, even more than an hour to get to work or to school and then back home. They walked. They risked Fear, uh, they risked reprisals from their white employers. Some of them did lose their jobs. They walked. It's amazing. Martin Luther King Jr. recalled the story of a 72-year-old lady, 
All we know, know of her name is Mother Pollard. Because of her poor health and age, he suggested that maybe she should just take the bus and let others do the walking. But this was her response to him. My feet is tired, but my soul is rested. What faith that was. It was because of people like her, countless thousands, that Martin Luther King Jr. could live out his calling. And until then, most African Americans had lived in acceptance of second-class life and fear of backlash and reprisals of, of the people who were in power. But somehow, they found courage. And they found faith that they were on the right side of history. They discovered somehow a deep reservoir of power and abundance that they didn't know they had until then. And so thousands and eventually millions of these small stories combined to create this national movement that changed the world. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. In other words, my faithful response with what little I have can give a lifeline to you. And your faithful response with what little you have can give a lifeline to me. Who are you called to help right now? Don't worry about what you're called to do in the future. I mean, right now. Who are you called to help? What are you called to do? I got ordained at the end of July 2019. And at that time, I thought I would, okay, I'll ease into this ministry business and uh, learn the ropes and figure out step by step. But then as we all know, life was flipped upside down in March 2020, seven months into full-time ministry. And for those first few weeks and months, I, I had no idea what to do. I mean, that whole time now, it's actually really a blur. You know, I don't even know how I got through those times. All I remember is I felt like a zombie so often, lacking sleep, uh, mental sanity, energy. But you know what? When I look back, my jar of meal was not emptied. And neither did my jug of oil fail. Our God sustained me. And a huge way that God sustained our pastoral staff was through this community. All of you faithfully coming out to worship week in and week out, even on Zoom. You, know, you didn't have to. If you were home, you could have been chilling, doing anything else. And it may have been a very small thing for you to come out for worship every week. But I'll tell you this, even just showing up, and participating, you don't know how much of a blessing that is for leaders who are trying to do something. And so your faithful presence every week was such a source of abundance for us. It was such an inspiration that lifted our souls up and kept us going too. I mean, it lifted my soul and led me to worship in ways that I've never had before. Honestly, I would never have imagined myself dancing around on stage like I did especially in an empty sanctuary. I, like, I, I look crazy sometimes. 
but that's how much your presence cleaved me and all of our pastoral staff to you and this community. What little you have, such an enormous blessing. So we don't even know. When we offer that little we have, we don't know what will happen to it. But God will turn that into something wonderful and amazing. You, do you guys remember when on Zoom I would go around saying all your names all the time? It wasn't just for show. It was a true appreciation for your presence and blessing that carried us too. These are the cycles of blessings that create abundance, my friends. Each of our small jars help us to sustain one another. And so God calls us to offer what little we have, and God multiplies it. That is the blessing of a good life. That is the abundance that comes from sharing what little we have. And that's the mystery of how Jesus turned five loaves of bread and two fish into enough to feed 5,000. That's the mystery of it all, how God does it. And I was also sustained and blessed by our session, our elders. You know, our elders, they're, of course, they had their own struggles and challenges throughout this time too. But in those early days, we met every Sunday night on Zoom. We come together and we share and discuss. They too were often so depleted and felt like they had nothing left to give. But they responded with faith. They were faithful to their calling. And so God sustained us together and kept us filled. And so I'm so thankful for our elders during these past two years. And you know what? I mean, none of our elders actually readily said yes uh, to their calling. Not, none of them. Read the stories on our website, too. They're all like, oh, no, no. And pretty much all of them did say no at the beginning. Right? James Lee said no twice before this year. And then even this time around, we spoke three times, three times. And each time he was going to say no, but apparently he says that I'm a good talker or something. But hey, like Elijah, I was just a messenger from God, right? Chisuk and June also before said no too. Jenny also shared how inadequate she felt. All of them felt like they didn't have enough to give, whether it be their time or energy or circumstances or, or enough attributes of the, what they thought an elder should be. There's no attribute of what an elder should be. Simply a heart that's willing to say yes and let God use it, right? And I'm so thankful that they finally responded with faith and said yes. I'm so excited about how God will use them to carry up lead us through their leadership. I'm very excited. And we talk among our staff. Ultimately, we hope that everyone here will one day serve as an elder in our church. Such a wonderful privilege and blessing. And like I said, it's not about what you bring to the table. It's simply your faith that God will use what little you have and be faithful with it and multiply it. My friends, let's accept the simple fact, all right? Life is tiring. There's no way around it. I mean, Deb is always like sassing up on me, like saying my favorite position at home is horizontal. It's true. By nighttime, I am dead flat depleted. I need to be horizontal flat on the couch. <laughs> that is my spot. Don't take me away from it. So when, when she like has a little task for me, I'm like, oh, and I get up, I heave and I get up. She's like, 
what's wrong with you, right? We are tired. Life is tiring. But the question is, will you be tired in a way that depletes you and leaves you more exhausted? Or will you be tired in a way that gives joy and life to you? When you are called to give what little you have, respond with faith. God will supply all of your needs. And then watch in awe as God turns that little into abundance. I've seen this happen over and over, and I know that God will make a reality in, of this in all of your lives too. Seeing this and experiencing this, that is a good life that is open wide. Let us pray together now as the praise team comes up.